You're listening to a content production of Higher Things. Higher Things is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to make the gifts of Christ Jesus known to youth and young adults through gospel-rich content like you are about to hear. Consider joining our supporters who make this ministry possible by donating at higherthings.org giving or by clicking the link in the show notes. And now, Higher Things presents Why Bodies Matter with hosts Erica Sorensen and Pastor Harrison Goodman. Because it happened to Jesus. And since it happened to Jesus, we can take him at his word and we know what's going to happen to us. Welcome everyone to Why Bodies Matter, a podcast produced by Higher Things for youth and their adults. The title of today's episode is Bodies Matter in the Resurrection. I'm your co-host, Erica Sorensen, along with Pastor Harrison Goodman. Pastor Goodman, will you introduce our guest? Absolutely. We have Pastor Matt Popovich. He is a speaker. He is a writer. He is a teacher. He is the host of a brand new podcast called Make It Simple. He serves as lead pastor of St. Mark in Houston, Texas. Prior to serving in Houston, he has served as a church planter, lead pastor of OSNY, a family of neighborhood parishes in New York City. He has served as a staff writer for Homiletics, a worldwide resource for pastors providing insights and ideas for preaching and teaching. He is a frequent speaker at churches and events all around the country. Uh, to find out more about his ministry, check out his resources and all he has going on, go to mattpopovitz.com. Well, thanks for being here today. Did we miss anything? You've got a lot going on. I checked out the website and so many good resources. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for having me. And I, I think you covered it. That was pretty good. Well done. Hey, all right. We did it. Well, um, we're going to talk today. You're, you're our, our final guest on this season and we get to talk about the resurrection. Uh, and I think that... Um, you know, and it, some folks think of the resurrection of Jesus, maybe they think of Easter uh, kind of out in the culture, but I think it tends to be thought about sort of in terms of mythology. Um, but as Christians, you know, did that thing really happen? But as Christians, why is this kind of, why does this really matter? Why why do we pay attention to this? Why do we talk about the resurrection? Why is this a big deal? Well, it, it's a big deal at the very least for two for two reasons. Number one, Jesus's resurrection is the great proof that he is who he said he was and that he accomplished what he promised to accomplish. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, really anybody can say that they're the son of God, savior of the world, uh, that through, through their life and death, that there's forgiveness of sins. Anybody can make that claim. But the one we should believe is the one who has kept the promise that though he dies, he will live. And if, if you're able to pull that off, you're worth listening to and you're worthy of my trust. And so the resurrection of Jesus, among so many other things, is the great proof of who he is and what he's accomplished for us. It's like the big CVS receipt of eternity. It proves what's yeah. happened and what's been purchased and that it is yours. And so that, that's why Jesus's resurrection is a big deal. And our resurrection is a big deal because it is really, it's really the... The, the last thing that we're waiting for, and it's really the, the kind of the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, of sin, death, and the devil. 
you know, Jesus Christ has conquered our sin. He's conquered death. He's conquered the devil in his own death and resurrection. And yet we are still walking around, though we are forgiven as his baptized children, though we will live forever in God's family, we are still walking around feeling very much the, the, the slings and arrows of death. We're feeling the pains of death. Indeed, each one of us, unless Christ returns before we die, each one of us will die. And so what we're still waiting for is the resurrection, the physical resurrection that Christ experienced and promised to us. We're still waiting for that moment to happen. And when that moment happens, it means the really the work of making all things new is totally complete. The, 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 circle, is, the circle is completed. It's all been done. It is, it is um, everything that Christ came back Everything that Christ came to to accomplish and restore has has finally been fulfilled when he returns and he raises us up and no body has to die anymore. No flesh is ever buried in the ground anymore. There is no more death. That's the moment we're waiting for. And that's when this whole thing is really fully and finally completed and we simply enjoy this resurrected reality. And so, so, so just to summarize, Jesus's resurrection proves who he is and our resurrection, when that day happens, when Christ returns and raises us from the dead, it is the culmination of everything that our faith has been pointing to. And we know that's going to happen because it happened to Jesus. And since it happened to Jesus, we can take him at his word and we know it's going to happen to us. Yeah. And God makes good on his promises. That's what he does. Yeah. Yeah. So we can, we can have hope in that. So let's talk a little bit, um, about our actual bodies, um, in this life. Does this mean also that we're going to have bodies in salvation? And why is that significant? Well, I mean, short answer is yes. I mean, we, you know, we, we don't have a ton of detail about what our resurrected reality is going to be, but the few things we do know are very important. We know that when Christ returns, he is going to raise every body and reconnect it with every soul that is currently at rest with the Lord right now. And we will enjoy an eternity where we are body and soul once again, where there's no, there's no, there's no longer a disconnect caused by death, but we, we have an eternity where we are both spirit and flesh and blood all as one. As real as this life is right now, the resurrected life will be in the future. As, as real as it is right now, when you, can, when you can hug your grandma and smell her perfume while she was alive, in the resurrection, when Christ restores all things, it won't just be spirits floating around. It'll be as real as the physical pre physical reality is right now. You'll be able to hug people again that you miss and, and smell that perfume and feel their presence, their skin on your skin, their, yeah. their, their, their body close to yours. That, that is real and that matters. And what we know, the little we do know, is that our resurrected eternal reality will be a flesh and blood reality. Christ has won that for us and promised that to us. So our eternity is not just some kind of ethereal spirit eternity where there's where there's nothing uh, nothing solid, nothing secure, nothing nothing um, nothing tangible. No, it's it's as real, if not more real, than this world we enjoy right now. That's the that's the full promise, and and that's what I preach at every funeral. The the full promise of Jesus is that. Uh, is that it is a is a, it is a resurrected eternity that is, uh, and I often will have people like take their own hands and hold the hand of the person next to them and say, "You feel that? You feel you feel that flesh and that blood? You feel you feel that presence of that other person when Christ returns and He raises us from the dead and He raises this person right now, this baptized child of God who is deceased in front of us. When He raises her from the dead, 
that yeah. life we enjoy together in, in Christ's presence will be as real as that flesh and blood that you feel next to you right now. That's the full promise. What I love comfort. that. That addresses the, the, you said disconnect, and that's just the perfect word for it, that, that our, our, in death, our bodies and souls are disconnected and God will address that in the resurrection. But you're right. That's still something we actually feel now, even while we're just sort of wrestling with the, the wages of sin in this world, we feel disconnected. And so it's easier to, to sort of just imagine like a vague heaven because there's clearly like whatever God is doing that's good out there, I'm having trouble seeing the fullness of it down here. Um, how does a resurrection kind of actually speak to that today when I feel disconnected? Yeah, like, well, I think, or can I add this question too? Yeah, please. So, add, kind of adding on to Pastor Goodman's question. So, then, in addition to what he said, does it matter then what I do with my body in this life if God's going to fix everything? You know. Oh man, that's that that's a that's a really good question. So I think so. So, so let me let me address Pastor Goodman's question first. Um, yeah. I, I think I, I think um, uh, the 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 fact of the resurrection. Um, is is a peace giving uh, a peace giving reality when you feel the disconnection of this life, but you know one of the effects of sin is that we are constantly tempted to not only we are tempted to feel a disconnection between spirit and flesh, and then we're we're tempted to uh, to buy into that and believe that that disconnect is a good thing, but it, but it's a bad thing to say that my my spirit and my body don't belong together or that my flesh doesn't matter, just my insides, my heart and mind matter, right? And that, that's a, I ultimately believe that's a satanic lie, getting you to, getting, it's, a, it's a lie from Satan getting you to, to love yourself or to love the gift that God has given you of your whole self and your whole person less and to demean it. So that it's easier to defile it and it's easier to, uh, to, to sin against it. It's easier to abuse it, right? Um, so, so it's really tempting in this, in this sin-stained, broken world to um, to buy into the lie that the disconnect we feel between body and soul is good. And it's also a way of coping with the disconnect we know is going to come when we die, right? Because we're all trying to rationalize that and figure that out, right? Um, and so, and so uh, what the fact of the resurrection from the dead does is uh, it, it tells us in the face of that, that temptation to buy the lie that the disconnect between body and soul is good, it gives us the promise that that there will be wholeness one day, that there will be, that, that this tension you feel between body and soul or this disconnect or this angst or anxiety you feel between who you are on the inside and who your flesh and blood is on the outside, that there will, that there will be wholeness. Indeed, when our body is raised from the dead, um, we'll not just be reconnected as flesh and blood, but we will feel and be completely at peace as flesh and blood, body and soul. And that day is coming. That day is coming. You know, Jesus Christ in his resurrection, he was resurrected, but also glorified, right? So he was, he was fully resurrected, but there was also this kind of like other thing, other special thing that was not just his deity, but his resurrected reality, right? And so, and that, that's going to be true for us too. There is this wholeness and completeness in flesh and blood and spirit that is coming for us. Hold on, hold on. It is coming for us. And it's guaranteed for us in Jesus. So, so, so it gives us peace as we wrestle with that disconnect. But the resurrection also tells us that what we do with our body now matters, because if my body matters so much that Jesus Christ would not only die for it, but rise for it and come back for it to come and get it, resurrect it. If my body matters so much that Jesus would do that for it, then doesn't it matter so much that I should respect what I do with this flesh and blood now? Because look at how much Jesus values my flesh and blood. 
So therefore, shouldn't I respect it and value it too? If, if who I am in flesh and blood is so precious that Christ would live, die, rise, and return for it, shouldn't, shouldn't I have a high view of it? Yeah, the God of the shouldn't universe. I love what I do. Yeah, shouldn't, shouldn't, I, shouldn't, I, shouldn't I do things that are, that are noble and good and higher and holy with this flesh? Of course I should. And what a message that is, because I think about, you know, um, we were all teenagers once and middle schoolers and so forth. And we know that um, kind of during that time, our body goes through intense changes. And it's really a time of um, you kind of feel almost like it's an alien thing because things happen to your mind and your body as you go through that time. And it's really tempting, um, at least in my generation before phones and all those things that were going on, um, to kind of look around at everybody else's body and everything <laughs> else that's going on with them um, mm. and go, gosh, why don't, why don't I look like that? Or in my case, why aren't I taller? Or And just really kind of um, getting in the habit or getting this idea of, um, you know, I'm going through all this change and I don't like it. Uh, what what kind of comfort can you give to youth who are who are seeing things through filters online, who are seeing seeing things in social media where it's become kind of an entire thing to present this other distortion of yourself online and this kind of disconnected concept that that makes them feel like, well, at least in this space, I'm something. But in kind of in reality, it, you know, I, I don't like what this is. So what kind of, what kind of, I mean, you've already kind of touched on it, but what would you say directly to the kids who really kind of struggle with this in a new way and obviously different than what we did when we were growing up? Yeah. I, I, you know, I would say it's, you know, it's, you know, people always talk about, you know, uh, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. That's the, that's the, the old phrase, right? And, you know, um, uh, we're told to be wary of comparing ourselves to other people because it really only leads in, down one path. Um, you know, I, I, I just don't know how, how reasonable it is to, to encourage people not to, not to compare themselves to others and, and how reasonable it is not to compare themselves to what the assessment is of them in the eyes of others, right? To not worry about what other people think of them. I think it's just, I think it's just going to happen. It's part of being a human being. We're always going, how do I measure up next to this person? And what does this other person think of me? Um, I think the, 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 the better, the better um, advice is not to not do that, um, but to be a better curator of, of whose opinion you're, you're listening to of who you are mm. and um, to choose a better point of comparison for who you are. Meaning, I mean, you're, if you're, if, if it's inevitable that you're going to listen to somebody's, um, uh, opinion of who you are, you might as well listen to the opinion of someone who loves you enough to live for you and die for you and rise for you and, and come back for you. I mean, yeah, you can listen to your peers and that's, I'm sure that's a loud voice, but there's also the voice of Jesus who says, I know you don't like who you are. And I know this kid at school doesn't like who you are or how you look, but but remember, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the one whose opinion matters most, and and I chose you in your baptism, and I knit you together in your mother's womb, and I, you might not look like what you see in the mirror, but I, I kind of made it on purpose, and I love it enough to live for it, and uh, I appreciate it enough to die for it, and I'm so satisfied with it that I would return to get it and resurrect it and make sure it lasts for eternity. You know, I, I think what it comes down to is, you know, which voice are you going to listen to? Uh, are you going to, are you going to only listen to the voice of your peers? If so, I mean, that's just a recipe for, for all kinds of angst. Or are you, or are you going to try as best you can to give a platform to the voice of the voice of God who says, who says that who you are and who you see in the mirror matter? 
They, they matter so much that Jesus would live, die, and rise and return for it. There, you keep going back. Not only live, die, and rise, but return uh, for us. That that God doesn't sort of wait until we are perfect before He comes and collects us. That that He comes and gets us how we are. He comes and gets us broken. He comes and gets us sinful. He comes and gets us ugly and 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 dead sometimes. Um, it, it it matters because that means that that, that Christianity is is different in that it doesn't have to be sort of a self-help, how to get from point A to point B so that your body can be worth rising. But if Christ is willing to return for me now, wow, every, the kids make fun of me too, even as a grown up. Um, I'm still mocked by sixth graders. It's just some things never change. I, I can. It's not just sort of giving a platform then to to a louder voice or a better voice, but but it's it's sort of addressing without having to shout down all the things that they're saying. Um, I can be a sinner, but I can be one that Christ will return for. I can be broken. I can be dead, but Christ returns for me for you. Yep. Well, yeah. I mean, so, so think about how unfair we are to ourselves, right? You know, we when we do compare ourselves to other people. You know, we're we're comparing ourselves to what other people allow us to see, which is usually the best parts of themselves. Typically, it's usually like the highlight reel. It's a curated version of themselves, and so we compare the worst that we know about ourselves to the best of what others let us see. I mean, that's a losing game. But but then there's Jesus, who sees the worst of you, and still has chosen you in your baptism, rescued you through his life, death, and resurrection and still sees uh, a, a dead and dying person and says, yeah, I'm going to come back to get her. He, he, see, he sees the worst of us and still rescues us and loves us. And so, so, so Jesus is just so much more compassionate and loving towards us than we are to ourselves because we set ourselves up in these losing games of comparing ourselves to somebody else's highlight reel. And then there's Jesus who sees all the stuff we hide and says, yeah, I still love you and I still want you and you're still mine. That's like that's great. that's a better love, man. That's just so right. Yeah, so much better. Because otherwise, we're just set against each other. Like I look better when you look worse. If if you're gonna look good, that's I right. can't look as good. And so at, at best, I sort of have a downplayed animosity. But then, if there is a resurrection, how does that keep Christians actually tied to each other today? Not just sort of one day we'll see each other yeah. again apart from sin, but are we tied together today in this resurrection now? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think, I, I think it's. Um, I think it's helpful for Christians to remember, uh, going back to what I said at the beginning, you know, um, the resurrected reality will be as real, if not more, as this reality is right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it's it's one thing to think of eternity as this kind of ethereal, indefinable kind of spirit world, right? But that's not what it's going to be. It is a new creation, so a new a new world, like that we a new earth that we stand on that is as real as this one, and it is resurrected, recreated, restored, rejuvenated, renewed bodies people, humans with a body and soul. And so um, we're going to have to live a very real life together, a very real life together in Mm -hmm. eternity, in eternity, which is impossible for us to wrap our minds around. But but, uh, we have the opportunity to practice for that in this temporal reality and to to practice that and to to prepare for that now. the life that we're going to live together forever. Now you, you may be thinking about, man, I got to live with Bob forever, Steve or Susie forever. It's, I mean, it's, it's going to be better. I mean, it's going to be, you know, sin free. It's going to be the best you know possible version of Bob, Susie, Steve, and Matt. Right. But, uh, but, but it's, so it's going to be better, but I think, I think, you know, we, we are bound together with this, with a very concrete promise and, and, and we have the opportunity to kind of proclaim that to each other 
in, in our lowest of moments and in our scariest and, and, and worst of moments. I, th- I think of death. I mean, like, like I, I preach so many funerals every year and the, the, only, the only thing that comforts, the only thing to preach at a funeral is the resurrection of the dead. Is the resurrection of the dead. Yes, forgiveness of sins. This person who died was and is forgiven, and so are you. That, that's important, that, that part of the gospel, right? But the full picture of the gospel is looking people in the eyes and saying, this, this corpse that you see right here, th- this will not be how this story ends. I need you to know. This will not be how this does. Let's call it what it is. This is awful. This is terrible. This is heartbreaking. We miss her. We long for, for him to be back here. And this shouldn't be this way. But let me tell you, this is being fixed right now. This is being fixed right now by a resurrected Jesus who is Lord over all of this. And one day, this body that is still and cold and soon will be planted in the ground like a seed, it will rise to new life. It'll rise to new life. That's going to be the final word of this story and mine and yours. And we're going to enjoy that together. The next time we gather together with her and with him, it's going to be in a resurrected reality. And it's going to be as real, but better than this moment right now. Like that's, that's the full message. And we are bound together by that, especially in the face of, of death, especially in the face of death. Yeah, I, I as I think about what you just said, I think about the fact that um, we live in this body in this life, and if we attend church, we're part of the body of Christ. And I'm thinking about, you know, um, I think sometimes youth and kids get the idea that they're not quite full members of that body yet. You know that that they're kind of quasi members. Um, but they really have an important part to play in the body of Christ and to one another. Can you talk a little bit about you know, kind of that present reality of how we are the body of Christ, all looking forward this day, all things new? How can that be um, important for kids? I mean, they're not thinking about death yet. I mean, no, you know, it's no. just kind of an abstract thought, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, um, um, your body, your, your, your flesh and blood and your spirit all together, right? Body, soul, spirit, all that yep. together. Um, is a temple of God. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit, and y- you you are are part of the one of the carriers of God's presence in this world. And and what we are told is you, not just your thoughts and ideas, but your actual physical presence. All of that coming together um, is a, is a is a, is a temple of the is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You carry with you the presence of God with you as you go from place to place to place, meaning we, we, we cannot experience in some capacity the fullness of who God is unless you are there with us, unless we're together. Now, now God is present with us in his proclaimed word and his promises and his gifts, but, but, it, but he also tells us this is mysterious. And sometimes in a Lutheran tradition, we don't really emphasize this quite enough. We're also told that God is present in, with, through his people. Not just in, in an, as an idea, but in reality, God is present in the old lady who stands next to me in the pew, but he's also present in the baptized child, infant, and in the awkward teenager. And all of us together, we are this, this, this gathered presence of God. I need you there because I, I say I, I need to experience the Lord. I need to experience his presence and his power, which means I need the 14-year-old to roll out of bed and be present at church. Because if you're there as a baptized child with faith in your heart, uh, that means I've got somehow, and don't, 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 don't get mad when I said it. Somehow, if you're there, I've got more of God there with me because God resides in you by power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so, and so if, if, and so I have a gift to bring to the church when I show up to the church by virtue of the fact that I carry with me the Holy Spirit. And I am the presence of God to the people at church that I stand next to or serve alongside or that I go visit, that I say hello to. Even if my hello is, uh, is awkward and, 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 uh, and, and broken by a changing voice and, and, and all these things, it's, it's, it's still me bringing the presence of God to the people around me. And so all that to say, your presence matters because you are, you have within you the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and because we need the presence of God, we need you active and present in church. And so, and you have no less measure of the Holy Spirit in you than somebody who's been, who's been in the faith for 70 years, who's, you know, who's been president of the congregation, knows the, the word <laughs> by heart. Yeah. You know, you, Even, you, are, you are no less yeah. a, uh, a carrier of the presence of God than that person. So your presence matters. That's what I'd say. I love that. It's a better reason to tell my kids to go to church than because you have to. It's, it's right, right, you get yeah. to. And as you talked about that, I thought about uh, in the congregation where I ha- where I had my youth and the kids that I taught. There were some days that were really hard hard for me for personal reasons, and just having them come up to me and say hey or want to talk to me about something or talk about their week or give me a hug was was kind of everything to me. And I think that exemplifies kind of what you were saying about how important it is for everybody to be physically present and together. Yeah, it's well, a, it's I a mean, much better reason, more compelling. Well, you know, I, I hear people say all the time as a pastor, I hear people say all the time, I wish God would just like make, make himself known to me, right? I wish God would like show up and, and you know, be, be more present and more alive to me. And man, like I, I kind of love it when people say that because I'm like, oh man, do I have some good news for you? Mm-hmm. He, he shows up all the time in really, really tangible ways. He shows up in the word as it's proclaimed to you and promised to you. He shows up in bread and wine, body and blood. Um, you know, he also though shows up in the people that you so easily overlook who are standing there next to you. You said you want to feel God close. Turn to your right, turn to your left. I, I know it looks weak and mundane, but, but the Lord is near through the presence of his people. That, 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 older, that older member of the congregation that you've never really talked to but who knows that you're a part of the youth group and went on a mission trip and who happens to know your name and prays for you in her morning devotions each and every day. That, that, that is, that is the presence of God. You want to know that he sees you and knows you. She sees you, she knows you and she carries his Holy spirit. She knows that that's, that's the Lord showing up and answering your prayer for him to be present. She's right there. The body of Christ is all around you. God has promised to be present with us and he's there and his people but he's also there through you. You get to be that for others. And that's why it's you magnificent. matter. Yeah. 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 You, and it stops being a measure of sort of how, how grand it feels in your heart in this moment, because you get to be honest about sometimes what communion you know, feels like, but, but it's, it's spoken against what God promises it is. And in the same way, you might not feel like a, a, a vessel for, for God, but I, I don't know that the cross, you know, felt particularly glorious as the glory of the Lord was revealed on it. it, it it's wonderful to, to find this promise of God speaking all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. I, I can't think of another question I have. I, uh, I'm, I'm delighted to have had you today. Um, I love where this, where this went. I keep thinking about Luther talking about the masks of God um, mm-hmm. and how he, he works through people. And that, that really is true. And I can see that so pointedly, particularly, I think, in hindsight, 
that's kind of the time we see it. We don't always see it in present, but it has been an absolute delight to have you here today with us, Pastor Popovitz. Um, I highly recommend uh, you you look at the link that we will provide online and and check out some of the things he's doing as well. Um, thank you so much for being here today to talk about um, our incarnational faith in this disembodied age. It was a delight. Well, thank, well, th- thank you so much. Thank you for having this conversation, and thank you for letting me be a part of it. Absolutely. Perfect.